as, as Shaggy would say, zoinks. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say it wasn't me. <laughs> no, that's Scooby. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education laboratory where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I am Dave Darrington. And I am Rockin' Adam Avramescu. That's oh, my rockin'. DJ name. Rockin'. rockin'. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I'll have to come up with one for the next episode. But what It's are we been doing a while today? since we were uh, you know, on mic together, Dave, so I, I just got so excited that I have to come up I, with I know. a new... A new DJ persona. Well, let's frame this up. I mean, we've come off of a a, a, a lot of CEO-based um, sessions, podcast episodes, you know, the whole thing where we talked and we got the lay of the land of the industry. And now we're going to do something a little bit different and equally as important. So what is it we're up to today? Well, you're right. We've had plenty of really good CEO interviews. We've gotten the view from that level. But we're also recording this again during a, a global pandemic and mm -hmm. you know the world and, and our country is just starting to reopen and so if you if you kind of take that broad view 2020 has brought some really dramatic changes to the world in, in general not just for customer education but those of us who are in training or education we've we felt those impacts so yeah. we thought maybe a good time to continue looking at the state of the industry yeah this is really good as as we would say, the work still goes on. You know, we're we're doing a lot, and and Adam, I know you're doing this as well as I am at Outreach, where we're scrambling to bring uh, really good new types of programs, more virtual, you know, more online, focused on scale that we haven't done before. This is all kind of new. So this is, we'd say, a good time to start taking a step back and really look at the landscape of customer education. Where is our industry at today? in where it's going so today we'll, today dave today yeah today national good. craft distillery day oh there's a few down the street for me i need to check out um what have you got in your neck of the woods uh i think most of them are doing takeout only but we've got some some good places here in oakland california well no delivery uh delivery from a craft distillery i would have to check that out i don't know <laughs> I I, I, i'm well stocked i haven't tried Cool. Yeah. So to that end, there have been a few reports released in the past few months on the state of customer education. And actually, some of them are so recently released that they actually include some insights on the impact of COVID-19 on training programs. So we're going to do a bit of a series of mini episodes. And this will be almost like a, a literature review mm -hmm. where we analyze some of these reports and we summarize the findings. And uh, Dave and I will will talk a little bit about our takeaways and insights as well. Yeah, so let's let's get going here, and we'll start today with uh, the State of Education Services 2020. The first report we're looking at comes from TSIA, the Technology Services Industry Association, uh, and this is by our friend Maria Manning Chapman. She leads their education services practice, so this is really relevant, really timely material for us. And what's interesting about this report? is that it came out mere days before we all started this diaspora from our offices, taking home all our gear, getting set up, and going into quarantine. Yeah, so we'll take a look at the findings from this report, and we can also actually compare this to some post-quarantine data that Maria compiled. So cool. she has a customer education in the time of COVID-19. 
So, okay, let's dive in. The first finding in this report is really around the purpose of education organizations. And you're gonna see this in a lot of the reports that we, we analyze. Mm -hmm. Everyone's trying to figure out what is customer education here to do exactly. And let's highlight that this report does bias somewhat towards education services organizations. <clears throat> Excuse me, because TSIA is uh, primarily for services-based programs, right? It's, it's technology services. So we're gonna be seeing education services more than say these like very smaller startup oriented customer education teams where they're doing very, very generalized things. Cool, so this is really interesting. And, and I don't know about you, Adam, I, I've been in both, I've been in several different kind of departments as a customer education function, one of them being professional services. Me too. So I, I'm, really, I'm really interested in all of these because they're helping us validate some of our hypotheses that we've had why, what customer education does, where does it belong. So let's go to this one. Now the TSIA polled uh, a number of organizations uh, which are largely moving towards that SaaS software as a service model, right? And they pulled them about their top objectives. Services, profitability, you know, how much money are you pulling in? Market share, customer satisfaction, CSAT, really important. Services, revenue, or product adoption. And the results compared to 2019 were, were rather interesting. Uh, in 2019, the largest driver was what? What do you think it was? Uh, I am going to say, what were the options again? Profitability, market share, mm -hmm. CSAT, services, revenue, or product adoption. Okay. Yeah. In 2019, what was the most important driver? Uh, I think it was probably services revenue. That's correct. Right. So let's, but let's talk more about what that is. What, 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 why is that important? What do we mean here? Okay. So I think, I think that's important because that's the actual revenue generated through education services. So like uh -huh. I, I sell an onsite training for $20,000. And so I've brought in $20,000 in revenue now, right? Yeah. Good job. <laughs> that's pretty that's good the, that's the, pretty the good amount. map that i can handle no it's a nice square number uh so yeah the the last year that was the top response 40 percent of orgs they were driving that goal and this year however something's changed that moved to second place only 24 percent of the orgs said revenue was their primary goal now okay let's let's go back quiz show what do you think? And everybody listening, you know, what would you think is the top goal for this year? So I'm going to pretend like I haven't seen the report. I'm guessing profitability would not be the main driver because most education programs, uh, even education services programs, they, they generate revenue, but they don't necessarily mm -hmm. exist as a pure profitability play. Right. Um, it's probably not market share either because again for a lot of education services if you're attached to a SaaS product you're probably not necessarily just trying to dominate um market share in the same way as if you were say like an education business right or a learning business right yeah and those aren't really uh en vogue as the french say for education teams uh it could be customer satisfaction but that doesn't usually pay the bills. And again, I'm thinking this is uh, education services yeah. here. So I'm going to say it's product adoption. Yeah, product adoption. Um, and let's think about that. Again, I, I, I like to frame it in terms of, Adam, what was your saying? Um, Vogue? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, customer education is? The scale engine of customer success. That's 
That's product adoption. Um, reduce churn and increase uh, increase revenue and increasing your revenue is increasing your product adoption. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so, you know, this is something, Dave, that you and I have seen as an industry trend for a while. And I'm actually, I'm surprised in some ways that we're seeing these larger education services teams start to shift in that direction as well. And if you look at some of the analysis from Maria's report, uh, she actually analyzed this as well. And I think, I think she was surprised because she called it the education services paradox. So in the report, she has a hypothesis. Yeah, it's, it, it's, and here's, the, here's the paradox. Her hypothesis is that people are answering that product adoption is their top objective because that is the response that is, as the French say, <laughs> en vogue. Everybody's but, doing it. Everybody's saying it. Well, yeah, everybody's, yeah, exactly. So everybody's saying the product adoption is the most important thing. Uh, our SaaS products, our SaaS companies, they really care about product adoption. So we're all running after that train, sort of like how every education services team over the past five years has gone from being just a pure revenue play to saying that uh, customer education is customer success. Yeah. Um, I think that like part of, part of these survey responses might be obfuscating the actual purpose of these education services teams, which is probably still uh, revenue-based. So that's, that's her, her hypothesis. So she, she thinks- Oh, that you're saying that it's kind of a ruse or it's misleading? Not that it's a ruse. Like, I don't think they're answering disingenuously. I don't think that's how she would interpret it, but mm -hmm. more rather that because we're seeing such a push towards the ROI of customer education coming from the way that it drives product adoption, she thinks that's why more education teams are starting to answer that that's their top objective and that's their purpose. Huh. But because product adoption doesn't necessarily pay the bills, <laughs> most education service teams don't actually directly drive or measure product adoption because that's usually what the product team does or like maybe a growth marketing team. I, I think the idea here is that maybe they're responding the product adoption is the most important thing in name only because they support SaaS products but really the main thing that they're still driving and the main thing where they still have the most agency is driving revenue. Does that, does that resonate with you, Dave? Unfortunately it does. And maybe I shouldn't say unfortunately. Um, okay. Well, let's, let, let's get down to the brass tacks here. So even though you and I have worked for companies of various different sizes, you know, optimizely Slack, Checker, Gainsight, and now, um, outreach and Azuqua, you won't let them drop. That was really cool too. Um, the larger you get, well, let's go back. Each one of these programs we built has different kinds of programs and different kinds of goals. You know, we, we may have an out, outcome of, yeah, we want to increase product adoption, or maybe the real problem is that people just don't get what we're trying to do. Um, so the larger you get, the more pressure there really seems to be to generate that revenue. Now, I want to tell you a live story, a real story. I, I, I live this life. I think this is the thing, Adam, that you and I value about this podcast is because this is uh, us as service practitioners, right? We're servant leaders. We're, we're trying to share what we're learning and we're learning a lot. Uh, and transparently, I was at Outreach initially in customer success, reporting straight to the SVP of customer success. And things were slightly different from now where we've reorged and now I am reporting it through professional services. And I can tell you, even today, this is really weird. This, this is really weird to me. In the same paragraph, right? Somebody's talking. Um, I'll hear one of my leaders say, you know, I don't know if I really care about 
the, the revenue coming out of this because of the education is so important to me. And that's the customer success tone, right? It's that adoption mm-hmm. plan. Yeah. But on the other hand, I'm also hearing, I have these two little voices in my ears and is I'm in professional. Uh, well, yeah, they walk in and, you know, photobomb the Zooms all the time, but they say that's other it. things. You know, now, now we're dealing with uh, kids and pets <laughs> walking, walking into the frame. <laughs> Daddy, can you help me? Give me your password to the Xbox. That's more like what that is. Um, uh, no, in the, in the services side of it, Adam, is different from what I, what I hear is, yes, that, that's nice, the product adoption stuff, but we got to get people onboarded and we also have to sell packages. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, I'm not going to steal thunder from what we're going to talk about later, but the, this is like a dichotomy. It's really interesting. Well, there's a certain, there's a disconnect, I think, overall between what a business will say is important. And I think this is, this is Maria's education paradox, like kind of writ large. There's a, there's a disconnect between what mm. a business will say is important. So making customers successful, customer success is important. We can say it's important. Educating our customers. Education is important, right? We'll say it's important. But from a financial perspective, like you're working with your FP&A team, well, to continue making investments in these programs, if they're considered a cost center, they still need to actually see that ROI. So for a customer success yeah. team, again, there's going to be an impact on product adoption, and that might be the most important thing. But really, what a customer success team has to do is own renewals and drive renewals or own yep. expansion, drive expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're just kind of hand-waving around the idea that they drive product adoption, they're not going to continue to get meaningful investment from the business in most cases, even though making customers successful is important. There's a difference between saying it thematically and then actually doing measurable things that drive that. And I think the same is true for customer education. Mm-hmm. And in the report, you can see the majority of, of education services teams, so like 60% of the respondents this year, they operate on a revenue or profit model. Um, so they're actually not set up as a cost center. They're not set up as cost recovery. And even as this starts to change with SaaS, and I think we'll see more cost center and more cost recovery programs coming online, especially as some of these smaller programs grow up, the fundamental education services model hasn't really changed. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the smaller programs that exist today as free programs <laughs> uh, who don't necessarily have their own autonomous budget, like what are they going to evolve into? Are they going to become bigger free programs? Uh, I know there's a lot of inspiration now looking at programs like Salesforce Trailhead, which is yeah. free and open online and becomes a big uh, marketing push for, for Salesforce. It, it has a lot of network effects in the business, but it's not necessarily driving a lot of revenue. It's probably uh, treated as a cost center for Salesforce. Or are they going to slowly evolve or mutate into revenue programs? This is interesting. And so I'm going to try to channel my inner Maria because I think we should all as customer education leaders do that. Because she's We've got to have her on the show. Maria, if you're listening, we would love to have you on the show. Yeah, let's set it up. Maria, let's do this. Um, I would say she'd probably argue that these programs will develop fee to free spectrum, meaning... And, and I'm seeing this, and I think you've seen this. I know you've seen this. We've been in enough different environments to see that, and this is something that I really wanted for my career. As a customer education leader, I've been in several different places and I've seen different things. But now I see how the, the, the arc, 
the what we're here what we're called to do adam is really start off somewhere get start to get a scrappy program together get this material together but at some inflection point along that way we literally shift gears and we start thinking okay well now i have this 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 free content and people are excited about it but then like um you know, like a freemium model or something where, you know, somebody baits you into, and I'm not talking bait and switch, like somebody gets you excited. Oh, you have material. Now the company invests and now we have some fee-based programs that are a much higher quality with more rigorous outcomes and structure. So it's an evolution, like you were saying. Will things slowly mute into revenue programs? Some of them will, I think. But the, the, the way that happens and which ones are going to be unique to every company that you work for. Is that fair? Yeah, I, that, that's fair. And I think that, you know, if you kind of look at the different trends as what, you know, what customer, educa uh, customer education programs are starting to encompass, if you look at things like knowledge bases, help centers, uh -huh. in-product uh -huh. education, things that are really supposed to directly drive product adoption or support ticket reduction, those which are really about removing friction from the customer experience are probably gonna remain on the free side of the spectrum same for you know webinars or thought leadership or pieces like that, which in many cases are owned by marketing, but customer education will, will get involved there as well. Yeah, Those are gonna stay free. It's the more premium bespoke offerings that you still need to create some sort of uh, value driver with that because otherwise what's, what's the incentive? Uh, you know, if, if, we, if we build a team that customizes these beautiful bespoke trainings for every customer who asks for it and it's free and we market it, well, very quickly, you're going to be going back to the business and you're going to be asking for, you know, like 26 headcount next year mm -hmm. to customize all that beautiful content. So in a way, there needs to be uh, a revenue incentive around that. And as Maria says, I think she's used the analogy before, like you, you, can't, you can't just go back, uh, you know, with your, your hands cupped and, and ask for your uh, CRO to pull money out of his wallet, right? Yeah, I think that happens a lot. I think it's just natural because of who we are and how we fall accidentally in a large number of times into this role. So those of you who are listening may have fallen into a customer education leadership role and you're like, okay, well, how does this all play down? It's, uh, it's, you've got to think about the, the journey. Like where are you going, where are you headed? Uh, and, and think about some stuff is free and it should be free and it should always be free. Other things... Like a, a let's let's say you're packaging up an onboarding program with demonstrable outcomes and a lot of support and time and in, invested and and you can leverage that that fee to make build in the quality and staff it. So, I, you know, I think early on, Adam, and, I, and I'm running in maybe some things that you're thinking about here, but to me, a you know a greenhorn coming into the thing, I'm like everything should be free. It's we have a lot of tools in our toolkit and one of them being revenue and it's yeah. not a bad thing. And it needs just to be, needs to be deployed. Like you said, fee to free. There's a lot of use our tools in a, in at our own discretion for the impact they need to have. Well, and, and again, it's a journey that you're on, right? Like if, if you're listening to this and you are leading a new customer education team at a startup and your startups investors are trying to drive growth at all costs, then you're probably not having those conversations with your business because you're trying to drive user growth uh, and doing anything you can to activate that, even if you're burning money to do it. Yeah. Not necessarily thinking about revenue or profitability, but if you start to look across the types of organizations who might be pulled by TSIA um, or SEDMA probably has a lot of the same types of organizations in there. 
well, all of a sudden revenue and, and to some extent profitability probably become more important in general. I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. But okay, so we, we talked a little bit about marketing these programs a moment ago, and I want to come back to that because the other Ooh, interesting figure that TSIA monitors is training penetration. So penetration, what does that mean? The, the report looks at install-based penetration rate, mm -hmm. which means the percentage of accounts in your customer base that consume training, right? So you've got like 100 accounts, 30 of them consume training. That's a 30% install-based penetration rate. Then they look at account-based penetration rate, which is the average percentage of addressable learners within an individual account that consume training. So okay. let's say- So like our whole market and then a client of mine and all the people that are within that. Yeah, exactly. So client X has 100 employees, 20 of those employees take the training, that's 20% account-based penetration rate. So Dave, you, you quizzed me earlier, now I'm gonna quiz you. Oh, what yeah. percentage of a company's accounts do you think consume training? So what do you think the average install base? Oh, everybody, everybody does, right? Everybody in that company. Oh no, I know that's not true, but I'll take that's a- what, That's called wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Well, you wanna think that, don't you? And I don't mean to get off into the weeds, but when you spend a lot of time building content and making you know, all this great stuff and having a learning journey, you want people to come and consume that. Um, let me say- Yeah, say, I mean, it's like a product team, right? If a product team spends all this time creating a beautiful product and then they yeah. never actually market it, then how will people find that product? I'm gonna I'm gonna do a wild wild guess. Fifty percent. How about that? Fifty okay. percent of them. That's a good guess. It's it's pretty close, but it's actually a little bit lower than that. It's it's thirty seven percent. Thirty seven. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's which metric here? That's install based penetration. So wait. So if I have a thousand people, a thousand users, then that's three hundred and seventy of these users actually did any kind of training. Dave, you know I can't follow that math, but <laughs> I, I believe I believe you. So yeah, I mean, that's look deplorable. At it I mean, come on. Right, like it's it's thirty one percent of thirty seven percent of our total audience when you when you add it up because the account based penetration rate is thirty one percent. Yeah. So first of all, like think about that thirty seven percent install based hmm. penetration. That means there's Dave, check my math. There's sixty three percent of accounts that you you need to go market your education to. Because yeah. they haven't taken anything. Yeah. So, well, you know, if I recall looking through the report as well, um, even within those accounts who do the consume the training, right? All the or your customers, that penetration rate was still the TSA report said thirty one percent, even lower. Yeah. So, again, you're the math guy. I'm not. Like, if you take thirty one percent of thirty seven percent, that means of all Ooh. the available users at all the companies that are in your install base, that means like 11% of those users who are getting educated. As, as Shaggy would say, zoinks! <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say it wasn't me. <laughs> no, that's Scooby. Uh, no, I think it's, uh, okay, I'm making a different reference, but <laughs> as, much, as much as to say, we, we, we kind of have, we have a marketing problem in yeah. customer education and Dave, to your point, we often say we've created this great education. It should speak for itself. We've sent 
emails out to our customers. We've uh, told our CSMs that this exists, but this training is not getting consumed. It's not getting sold. We're, but the problem there is we're not doing anything to market it. And in many cases, the problem might also be that the training itself just isn't relevant and isn't doing the job within our account base. Oh, God, help us. <laughs> I hope that's not the case. But yeah, you're right. It does. You know, I well, wanted to chime in here real quick, though. Yeah. Um, on, on this thread, I had the great fortune to work at Azuqua in marketing, um, reported to gentleman Dan Kogan, who was their chief marketing officer, great guy, and he had a great program. And we did things differently there. This was like really, and it was an opportunity to test a hypothesis. And I'll keep it brief, is that when you're in marketing, when you're not in marketing, you don't think like a marketer. When you're thinking of marketing, you're, everything's important, but you have to be on brand and you have to be driving to an outcome, right? What do I want to do? I'm trying to get people through that marketing funnel. And I had the, the good fortune to actually be able to make some content in a way that was more palatable to people to get excited about, you know, bring the enthusiasm in a little LinkedIn video, you know, small three minute videos about a product. It was more product marketing, but there was, it led into education. So I would have longer form material waiting for them. And that yeah. was super cool because I think we don't think that way. We don't think like, well, I just made this and here it is and everybody should use it. Well, that's why they built way. If you build it, they don't come because you're not a marketer. Yeah, I think someone who has always done this really well is uh, Mark Killens, who used to lead HubSpot Academy, mm. and oh gosh, now yeah. he's now he's at Drift. Like he's, I think he does a really good job not just building education programs, but really thinking about them like like a marketer as well. Okay, so we won't summarize the entire report. Um, it's at tsia.com, and you can navigate to Education Services to see the report and download it along with a bunch of really other good findings from Maria and team. But when you go there, you'll see some other interesting topics like how education services need to diversify, how they go to uh -huh. market, i.e. not just being bundled in with the software sale, because we know that that's not always a great way to sell education services. Uh, it looks at how prompts to consume education actually increase uptake. So again, when we market education prompts, to people, yeah. they are more likely to consume it. And how companies drive learning through subscriptions, which is a hot topic for revenue driving programs. Instead of just selling trainings ad hoc, they, they do uh, learning subscription programs. Yeah. All very extremely interesting stuff. The report had a lot of great, great stuff in there. I really liked, for example, they were starting to talk about through times right now with COVID going on, how we've radically shift to different modalities toward virtual uh, courses and more on demand. And it's great for those of us who actually have been positioned for that. It's like breathing more fresh air. It's, it's just wonderful. Well, so that's one thing that was really interesting, right? Because this report that we're analyzing right now, this actually came out again, literally like days before yeah. we all started going home. And when that report broke down where all services revenue was coming from, a shocking amount of it was still coming from on-site training, right, Dave? Oh, yeah. I mean, most uh, the, the lion's share of our training was on-demand, or I'm sorry, on-site. We sent people all over the world, and that was really important because I, I had been saying, as you would, we've got to shift gears and, and do less of the on-sites, and, and it's not that we don't stop it. It's more that we we, we mix it up. We have mixed mode training where we do some virtual, we do some on-sites, but you use it as a tool when you need it most. Um, but now we've had this good, uh, permission, I think, 
to really shift gears and go all on demand and all virtual, which allows us to do a lot more with a lot less. But I, mean, I don't know about you, we're as busy, if not busier than we were when we were traveling. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's just the nature of what we do has shifted. And especially for businesses like ours that really facilitate people doing things online that they might have used to do in person. But yeah. speaking of which, like if you look at, if you look at on-site training, so the way they broke it down, 38% of all services revenue was coming from on-site training in a pre-COVID mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And an additional 26% was coming from public classroom training, right? So instead of doing on-site oh, yeah. training where we go to you, this to is, you come to us, like, yeah, we'll, we'll set up a room at the Hilton and you, you come to the course. Um, what about VILT and e-learning and custom content development? Were, were those in the mix? Yeah, they were. And, and I have to think up the numbers here. Um, what were some stats that we were talking about? You know, some, some companies are offering a lot of public classroom training, like you were just talking about. Um, it, those those public trainings, let's just use this stat. This is interesting. Um, in public classroom training, 65% of those students ended up re-enrolling in VILTs, right? Um, that's pretty interesting. You know, yeah, although there was a number COVID of people, hit. yeah, in COVID hit. And I, I saw this anyway, because what I always like to offer, I don't know about you, but let's say we send somebody out to do a training. I always like to not only record that account-based training for them and have that in the back pocket, but give access to all of the virtual and all the on-demand material. And mm-hmm. then you can easily see when a trainer goes in and says, our training consultant says, hey, and you know what? I'm not going to let you get out of here before until you look at the survey, but I want you to go to this material. These are, this is the curriculum we have online. If something that I didn't say, if I said didn't stick, then go here. And, and we've seen a lot bigger update on that. And in fact, something that really shocked me um, was that we released we released some new public classes, public virtual instructor lists, you know, scheduled that anybody can go to as mm-hmm. long as they have a seat. And without advertising, without promoting, without saying anything about them, I expect to have zero people on. And some of them, some of the classes were filling. So yeah, cus- that, customers are looking for this stuff. They're hungry. And some it. of it is just a new way of thinking. So these these haven't been strong revenue drivers in the past. Um, doing VILTs or e-learnings or custom content development as a service. People were really used to generating revenue through on-site training or public classroom training, but all of this has started to flip now that COVID has hit. And TSIA actually released a follow-up report. This is where some of the stats we're talking about now are coming from. And that follow-up report was called Customer Training in the Time of Coronavirus. Hmm. So a little bit of a a play there on uh, love in the time of cholera. So there, um, Maria and co. track the actions that education services organizations took to respond quickly. So some of them ended up canceling their scheduled training. Some converted those trainings to VILT. Uh, some of them automatically re-enrolled their students in the equivalent VILT of what they might have already enrolled in. And you mentioned that 65% of those students who were in... Um, the public classroom trainings, yeah. they ended up re-enrolling in the equivalent VILT courses, right? But what, what else did we see in that report? Um, well, there were uh, 25% just wanted to wait until the next one, but that's a pretty low number. So they're like, eh, okay, I'll go do the VILT. I think there's a lot of people that wanted to have that little bit more of attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, let's say, well, and that this, was geographic, it was a geographic split too, right? Like, so, for, for customers uh, who had 
yeah. private on-site training, like where we, like we, the education team, come to your office and train your people. In North America, 71% of the respondents, like they were perfectly fine transitioning They're to the okay. We're used to it. Well, I don't think perfectly fine. They're perfectly fine was off on the report. They, they were, they were, maybe they were coaxed into it. <laughs> outside of North America, and especially in Asia Pacific, 46% of customers chose to defer training. So like those numbers, the 65, 25 there, uh, some of that is geographical, where like if you're in Asia Pacific, where some of the norms and mores are more around like training must be face to face, that's where you're more likely to see someone waiting until the instructor can come on site. Yeah, that that is definitely true, and that's okay. I mean, we are, we have when you start thinking about international training, and you you might not be there yet. That probably also happens at some inflection point in your organization's growth cycle. And we've seen a big uptick in that uptick in international stuff within the last year, but prior to that, not so much. So uh, it's interesting to think about. And we have had those asks like, oh, I, don't, I really want you to come to us. And we're like, we can't, we're not going to, nobody's traveling, sorry. Um, and I've even seen those companies say, okay, we understand it's a unique time, let's do it virtual. So the, the, we're making progress there too. Yeah, one thing that I was I was having this conversation with my team because we've had similar conversations where maybe the customer was expecting us to come on site, but you know, part of how we do training on Slack is we train in Slack. So through uh -huh. a combination of VILT techniques and then using Slack as part of the training modality to promote uh, interactivity is pretty cool, first of all. That's really but, cool. But um, often customers need to see it to believe it. So. I'm thinking in some ways, some of the stories that we're encountering now that customers who might've been initially resistant to this modality, but then we were able to work with them because their hand was forced by us not being able to travel. Um, and then actually seeing the way that we were facilitating in Slack and opening their eyes to the possibilities. I imagine some of this may be case studies that we'll use afterwards. Um, Cause oh, gosh, yeah. so much of this collaboration does not need to be happening in the classroom. Can I tell you a quick story about that before we, we start to wrap story. up? So we we had a candidate for um, for in one of our interviews, and we hired her. She's great. She's one of our best trainers, and she came on board faster than anybody. Um, but she did her demo, her you know practical, on Slack, and one of the things uh, in Slacktical. Yeah, <laughs> I recorded it. You can see it sometime. You can't hire her away. Um, but the, the coolest thing that she did was that she used Slack every step of the way in it. And she was virtual. She was remote. And we were all in the conference room. And she said, okay, because some of you were there in the conference room pre-COVID, I want a couple of you to step out of the room. Okay? And then she said something to us um, outside of Slack. And then we came back in and she said, well, what did you all think about this? And the people that went out of the room were like, uh, well, um, we're out of, we're, we don't know what's going on. And she said, that's what I want you to feel. When we're moving to virtual, we're using tools like Slack to do certain, you know, communicate in different ways. And she, she literally used this as a, a very impactful tool to show how virtual instructor-led trainings can be enhanced. And I thought that the yeah, props, really props to her, and it was very experiential. And, but she did it effectively in a virtual context too. And that was really neat. That's cool. I love that. That's so uncomfortable. I, I love it. Um, cool. So no, I'm saying that in a good way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uncomfortable. So, okay. I love it. Okay. Well, what does that say about I do. I, sometimes discomfort drives more learning than if you're perfectly comfortable the whole time. There's 
science to support that as well. But that's not what we're talking about in this episode. What we're talking about here is TSIA reports. So we'll recap a, a couple of other findings here. We don't want to spoil the whole thing because we want you to go to TSIA.com and check these out. But um, some of the other trends that they found in the, the post-COVID time was uh, many organizations, they're relying more heavily on VLTs, mm-hmm. on virtual labs. They're really trying to keep trainings interactive and, to your point, experiential. And then we're also seeing the role of certification change. So many education services orgs are offering grace periods, extensions, or vouchers for certification, um, or they're just giving back to their communities by offering their training or certifications for free, either university students or yeah. people affected by layoffs or even the general public. So. It's really interesting to see how education teams are responding to some of the things that we can do uniquely during this time. It's really cool. It's really cool to see. Yeah. So, so shall Dave, we wrap where, this up? Yeah. Where, where can we find this information if, if we're looking for more? Well, if you want to find out more, we always recommend visiting TSIA.com. Uh, they're a great professional org for our education services team. And I, I would say even especially for those of you who are starting to come over the, the hump and you're in a bigger organization, when you're faced with revenue generating decision-making and you want to understand more about how do you make a business out of your education, TSIA is one of the best places to go. So go in and check them out. And if you want to learn more, we have a podcast website at customer.education. You can put some HTTPs in there if you want. It's fine. It's all gravy. (laughs) There you can find show notes and other information. I am at Evermescu on Twitter. And I'm at Dave Darrington, also on the Twitters. And And special thanks to at Alan Coda. Actually, I don't know if that's his Twitter handle, but thank you to Alan Coda for his uh, theme music. And if this helped you out, you can help us out by subscribing in Apple Podcast, Overcast, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, your podcatcher of choice. It helps us a lot. Uh, When you do so, also do this. Please consider leaving us a positive review, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. We're still hanging in on our uh, five-star rating. We're really excited about that. You guys are great. Um, It helps us so much. Those two things get our podcast exposed to the rest of the world, to other people, and help us keep this going. We know you're not commuting right now, so what a perfect time to uh, to leave a review while you're at your computer. Indeed. (laughs) And to our audience, thanks for joining us. Go out and educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening.